Welcome to Central Assembly's podcast. Here is a message from our lead pastor, Kurt Jenkins. We pray this message speaks to you. All right, we're going to continue exploring the kingdom today. Last week, I'll just give you a quick review. We talked about how God created man to be in intimate relationship with him as he lives in God's kingdom on this earth. <clears throat> we talked about, <clears throat> excuse me, we talked about how God gave man rulership just over the Garden of Eden, just one, <clears throat> one small place. And his intention was that God would, or that, that man and woman would have dominion over the earth, not over other people, but over the earth. And as they continued to follow God's heart and God's laws that were written in their heart at first, then his glory would spread. The garden would expand until his glory covered the earth. That was God's original attention before sin uh, came about. We talked about how Jesus did not come to establish a religion called Christianity. He actually came to reestablish his father's kingdom. That's why as soon as Jesus started preaching, it said from that time on, Jesus went about the streets and he preached, repent for the kingdom of God, or in Matthew, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand or has come or is near, depending upon what translation you're reading. So we see that the, the priority of Jesus's ministry and should be for our life also is to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And Jesus said that all these things will be added unto us if we do that. We also gave a working definition of the kingdom of God because that word, again, it's so lofty and theological, like, okay, I'm living in the kingdom of God. I'm operating in the kingdom. Like, what does that actually mean? What is his kingdom? So something that we could just uh, use together as a church family, we wrote this out. God's, it's God's heart for his people expressed through the lives of his children through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Now, that's only one part of the kingdom of God because obviously God's a sovereign God and he can invade through love any territory he wants to all by himself. And then there's the kingdom that's all of eternity, right? When we go to be with Jesus for the rest of our eternal lives, there's that part that we're not gonna be expanding his kingdom then. But here, our responsibility on earth, the part that he's given us is to take God's heart for the nations, for the people of this earth, and allow his heart to flow through us through the indwelling and the empowering of the Holy Spirit. That's really, I mean, when we sing spirit break out, we're asking for his fullness. I mean, we're actually commissioned with an assignment to carry the kingdom of God with us wherever we go. How many of you know we can't do that at all on our own? It's absolutely only done through a work of the Spirit. If we're ever operating in the flesh, in our own power, in our own knowledge, with our own ideas, we will fail miserably. So all we want to do is be a conduit. We catch God's heart. We ask for more of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit flows through us to other people through very tangible and practical acts of love, compassion, and power. That's how his kingdom is expanded. Today, I mentioned last week that I want to take several weeks just to talk about this entity called the kingdom of God so we have a thorough understanding of it so that we can actually understand theologically and practically how are we supposed to expand the kingdom of God. If you look at it, Jesus said that he will build the church, okay? So he's responsible for making this part bigger. We're responsible for leaving these walls and expanding his kingdom. There's a difference. Are you guys with me? 
So what I want to talk about today is government. I'm about to get political. No, I'm just joking. I want to talk about heaven's government today because I think it's important to understand how God wanted to govern, how man has failed at trying to govern, and then what the solution is to that. So we're going to go uh, through Genesis 1 just a little bit and, and 2, Then I'm going to share a lot of supporting scriptures that I would just encourage you just to write them down. I always encourage you, look over what I'm saying. Read some of these verses in the context of 10 verses before and after or an entire chapter. It gives you a, a, a much greater understanding of what I'm trying to say in like 40 minutes when we're picking out one verse to make a point. I want you to see uh, God's full counsel. So please do that. Uh, but I'm, I'm not, probably won't have you turn there because I'm going to go to a lot of different places. They'll be on, their, on the screen here. If you think about our original mandate, it was to be under the rulership of God. We've already talked about this. And that he empowered us to govern the earth. Now, I don't want you to mishear me. I'm not saying that he's having us take dominion over other people. Are you guys catching that? It said that we were to have rulership, government, dominion over the earth and the plants and the animals and the birds and the waters. So I think sometimes when you hear that word dominion, people think like we're gonna go and like take by force and we're gonna try to control people. It's not about that at all. It's about understanding the heart of God. And his original mandate to us was to be under his rulership and then govern, have dominion over the physical earth as his glory begins to grow. If you look at, though, government, the basic uh, definition of that is to be to bring in order and safety, right? When you look at governing facilities, when you think of government, don't just think of the United States government. Just think of authority figures. It's about bringing order and safety. So look at a family structure. Look at the education system, businesses, nations. All of these have authority structures of some kind. Now, the prototype of the best government that we could get was introduced by God before humans ever existed. I'm not sure if you've ever seen this before. We think that maybe he, he wanted us just to govern, but if you actually look at Genesis 1, the second verse of your Bible, it says here, the earth was formless, or formless and empty. Many of your translations might say formless and void. The connotation here is, is that it was in chaos. It says, darkness was over the, the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. So I want you just to see this here. In this verse, the earth was formless and void. It didn't have shape or configuration. There was chaos here. Now, I'm not going to get into there's different theological views about why the earth was in the condition at this time, but the fact was that it was in chaos. So God knew and he wanted from his heart for the earth to be in order. So what was happening over the earth? You can call out, I like it. What was happening over the earth as the earth was in chaos? The spirit of God was hovering over. So the father chose to send the spirit of God to hover over a formless and void earth. Now what happens is Jesus, or God says, let there be light. And what happened? There was light. So we have to look at how did that happen? When it says the Lord said, that word, the speaking of the Lord, the breath of God is the same word in the Hebrew as the spirit of God. So follow this. When God says, let there be light, that is not just words. 
It's actual spirit of God flowing over this formless earth and it brings form and order to the chaos. That's amazing when you think about it. I mean, picture this thing, just a mess. And God says, let there be light. And out of his mouth, if I can give him a personal character, out of his mouth is the spirit of God that was already hovering and he let there be light. And now the waters are collected. And now there's, there's land. And now, and it always amazes me that he created light before he created the sun. I'm just trying to like bring some stuff up today. I don't have answers for any of these things. But if you look it up, the breath of God is the same thing, the same, same meaning, same word as spirit of God. So the very first governing facility on this earth was before man ever came forth, God sent his spirit through his breath and said, let there be light. And now there's order in the earth. Divine government, right? It's always the solution to chaos. Even in 2017, divine government will always be the solution and the only solution to chaos. We will never be able to legislate love and peace. It's only through divine government. So if we look at what, what do we feel like, what do I feel like this divine government is, right? It's to maintain order and management of a territory. It's to increase safety, the benefit and the freedom of the people. Now, we don't always see this in our natural governments, but this is actually proper governing. Bring order and management to a territory of land for the increased safety, benefit, and freedom for all of the people living there. So God, he could have chosen to manage this earth himself, right? He's able, Amen. He could have continued to speak like, you, go there. And the spirit of God goes and makes somebody go there and makes somebody do this and makes the plants grow. But he chose not to. In Genesis 2, verse 4, I want you to see these verses here. Again, we've heard the creation story so many times, sometimes we don't just slow down enough to look at some of these things. It says, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, and no shrub of the field had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant of the field had yet sprung forth. Why? For the Lord had not sent rain. Why? There was no man to work the ground. So if you look here, there were no plants present yet because no rain was sent. And God actually, the God of all creation withheld the rain because there was no man created yet to manage what he wanted them to manage. How many of you know God with his own breath could have trimmed the shrubs and picked the oranges and picked the apples, right? He could have done all that himself. But it says it right here in Genesis chapter two. He withheld all of these plants and all of this production, all of this fruitfulness because man was not around yet. So he actually withheld the waters of the earth. Like, if that doesn't give you some understanding of the importance God has placed on your life. In fact, if that doesn't give you greater recognition of whatever you are doing is absolutely spiritual. Whatever you do for a vocation, whatever your career is, it's spiritual. Think about this. Gardening was God's sole spiritual activity for man other than being fruitful and multiplying. Are you with me? Being a good gardener and tending to the earth and, and governing the earth, that was spiritual to God. So you can't go home and say, well, my business life isn't spiritual. Teaching isn't spiritual. Working in a factory isn't spiritual. 
Bagging groceries isn't spiritual. Absolutely, yes it is. You're taking a responsibility that the Lord's given you and you're doing it for his glory. So God chose to bring us into this. In Psalm 115, verse 16, it says, the highest heavens belong to God, but the earth he's given to man. Now, how many of you know the highest heavens belong to God? And so does the earth. It all belongs to God. But he's saying, listen, I'm taking up my residence in heaven. It's mine, but I'm giving you the earth to steward. So now we have to look at how are we stewarding this. He's actually giving, I mean, think about that gift he gave us, the gift of the earth to govern. Think about as a parent, you might start like with a toy. Okay, take care of your toy. If it gets dirty, you know, clean it off and this and that. And then they might, you might move to like your room, right? Now you're in charge of your room. This is your dominion. This is your area. Take care of this. And then maybe we'll advance it to chores around the house, then a bike, and then eventually a car. That's what God was doing with Adam and Eve. Here goes a garden. Take care of this garden. I'm with you. Then it's going to grow and grow and grow. The intention was never for sin to enter, for them to be banished from the garden. But what he did, and we read it last week, is in Genesis 1.26, God made us in his image, in his likeness. That means the same heart, character, and motives of God. That's how he created Adam and Eve. It's amazing. He injected and put inside of human beings his heart, his character, and his motives. And we've already talked about this, to roll over, not people. It says fish of the sea and birds of the air over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. It was like man was a different branch of government. God's in charge and he was legislating, he was giving authority to man and woman to govern the earth. Now we know when man fell, when sin came in, there was actually a rebellion. It wasn't just because sin separated us. There's actually a rebellion against God. You're basically saying, listen, God, I can do this on my own. I want to know the difference between good and evil. I want to figure this out in my own power. So it's rebellion. It's not just sin that separated it. It's actually a rebellious mindset. You're turning away from your authority figure in your life and then walking outside of the favor and the protection and the safety of that authority figure. And because of that, there are consequences that this earth faces today. If you look at the screen here, so you don't have to turn, if you wanna turn, it's fine. In Romans chapter eight, verse 19, a direct reflection of the fall of man and the consequences of this earth. It says, creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. This is like the ground we walk, the trees that were around. Creation is waiting in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. It says, for the creation was subjected to frustration. That's wild, like when you think about that, like the rocks, it talks about the rocks crying out, right? Like creation is frustrated. Why? Not by its own choice, but by the will of the one. Who's that? Us, men. It's frustrated, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. In hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay. How is it going to be liberated? It says, and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. How many of you know, look at Genesis, or later on, look at Revelation chapter 21. The earth is going to be born again. 
We were called to govern earth. We surrendered that responsibility. We said, God, no, thank you. I'll just, I'll just want to be like you and know between good and evil. We haven't been governing earth, the earth, the way that we were called to. Now creation's groaning. Creation's waiting for the sons of God to be revealed. Creation has hope that it will one day have the glorious freedom that the children of God have. How do we have that freedom? When we're born again. So the earth is decaying, decaying, decaying until the fire of God refines that. And Revelation chapter 21 talks about the new heavens and the new earth. Thank you, Pastor Adam. I think it is good. I mean, you think about it. We're not, even, we're not hanging out in heaven for all of eternity. It says we're going to be in the new Jerusalem. You know, it, it is. When you think about it, a lot of Christians, because we say, hey, we're out of here. We're out of here. It doesn't matter about the earth. The earth is going up in flames anyway, so we don't take care of the earth. And he's like, he's actually called his people to take care of the earth. Ah, oh, well, we don't recycle. We're going to heaven soon. No, take care of the earth. Out of all the responsibilities he's given us, it was to take care of the earth first. And now it's frustrated. Creation's frustrated because it's not receiving the care. You know, I started to think, especially with these hurricanes recently, about earthquakes, hurricanes, and tornadoes. They all take on a different meaning when you start thinking about creation, waiting for the children of God to be revealed. So I thought, were there any earthquakes, hurricanes, or tornadoes in the Garden of Eden? Probably not. Do you think there would be these natural disasters today if man fulfilled his mandate to rule over the earth and govern it with the heart of God? So when you hear men and women of God saying hurricanes are from God as punishment to people living in sin and a tornado, you know, flew through a community. No, I, I think it goes back thousands and thousands of years where man surrendered his duties over the earth. And now the prince of this world, the enemy of our soul, named Satan, has rights that he does not have official rights to on this earth. So over the years, what's happened is this. We've lost our ability to to govern this earth. So what we've done is we've actually tried to govern each other and rule over each other. And we've seen how successful that is. I'm being very sarcastic right now. Man's used earthly systems of government to try to mirror. Actually, if you follow this out, they're actually trying to mirror the safety and the peace that divine government has given, but they all failed. So I'm going to ask for some of my volunteers to come up. Uh, Jasmine Gruda, you can come up at this time. And you're, where are you, Jasmine? Come on. And Jasmine, you're going to stand on this bottom step and you get a bag of dirt. Congratulations. <laughs> this, you can come all the way over at the bottom step there. This represents our first form of government that we're going to talk about, which is feudalism. So feudalism is a government that was established through the owning of land. That's why she's holding dirt. The essence of power in feudalism was the person who owns more land has more power because they had power over their land. This is where one of the words that we get landlord because they were lords over their land. So they were in charge of their land. If she owned lots and lots and lots and lots of land, she has lots and lots and lots and lots of power. In fact, our word kingdom was derived in the Middle Ages from this, is they were considered little kings of their land. So now they have dominion over their kingdom. So that's where we actually began to utilize that word in modern society. 
Now, it's a twisted attempt at heaven's government because it realizes that God gave man the land in the Garden of Eden to be the governor over, but it's a failed attempt because God never intended Adam to rule over people, right? So these people in feudalism, high schoolers, listen to this. You might learn some, hist- some civic history today. The men and women who, who rolled over this land started ruling over the people who would come into the land. So it's saying, oh, listen, Adam and Eve were given land in the Garden of Eden, but God didn't give Adam and Eve people to roll over. So feudalism fails at its attempt to be a good government. Next, Tim, Timothy Howe, come on up. Tim gets the Pittsburgh Steelers number one finger. It's not really about the Steelers. Come on, step, step here. All right, so Tim represents dictatorship. Number one. Dictatorship, as many of you know, is a government that surrounds around one person. This person has unrestricted authority over people and above all the laws and constitution. What a dictatorship is all about is keeping the power and the authority in this one person. And what it does is it leads to ongoing paranoia, right? We see this across the earth now. When there's one person in charge, all they're trying to do is to have people not eliminate them so they stay in power so the next generation stays in power. Now, people... Have, still have private property in these, in these areas, but this dictator uh, really begins to oppress people over time. Now, it is a twisted attempt to be like heaven's government because God did give man full authority and full power and full dominion over the earth. But again, it's a failed attempt at heaven's government because dominion was only to be used over the land, plants, water, animals, and birds. Terry, you can come on up. Where's Terry? Oh, he's there. Terry, you can kind of camp out here on the second step. You get the hammer. Can anybody guess what kind of government this is? Anybody? Communism. Communism. Terry represents, well, the hammer represents communism. So communism, if you look at it, it's actually a combination of feudalism and dictatorship because now one person is not just over the land, It's not just over the people. Communism is you are over land and people. In a communist nation, they take away much private property. So it's all owned by the state, all controlled by the state with one person making those decisions. Now, this is actually a twisted attempt to be like heaven's government because what they try to do is legislate unity, love, commonality, and togetherness. Do you ever see a communist nation? Everybody's marching the same way. Everybody looks the same way. Everybody looks unified, but their hearts are a wreck. So it's a failed attempt at heaven's government because you can't legislate love. You can't force commonality. You can't pressure people into unity. So communism doesn't work. Mel, why don't you come up? Mel, you can go second step on this side. Terry, you could step up one more step. All right, Mel has a can of food. You can come up one more step. There you go. All right. And Mel represents socialism. Socialism is a government that tries to bring the state closer to the needs of the people. But what happens is they begin to control society to keep everything equal and fair. So they make sure that everyone gets equal shares. And what it actually does is it it enables people living in poverty to stay in poverty. And it limits entrepreneurship and people who can really bring wealth and prosperity to that nation. Now, this is a twisted attempt at heaven's government because the needs of the people are supposed to be their object. 
But what happens is as they remain in power, they begin to uh, preoccupy themselves with staying in power and having more power. And then in the end, they actually don't meet the real needs of the people. All right, for democracy, Jolie, Jasmine, Stace, come on up. You three ladies. You can come up to the top right here. All right, and you three ladies can, uh, you can come up top so you, you three ladies can hold that. So democracy is represented by a scale. This is the role of the people, by the people, and for the people, right? It's all established by a majority vote. I want you to realize that the United States came into this government because it was rejecting the idea of a kingdom. You know that? We were actually, the people, the settlers here were in rebellion against a king and a kingdom because they were never exposed to a righteous king. So they're saying, I see a king and I see a kingdom and I don't like it, I don't want it. So what happens here is we have a majority. We have the executive branch, the judicial branch, the legislative branch. Now it is a twisted attempt at heaven's government because when we see these three branches, they're attempting to operate in complete unity. But what actually ends up happening? They pull at each other and they struggle. And we say democracy is one of unity and one mind. No, democracy leads to two sides wanting their majority to be bigger than the other side. Now it's all about winning. Though it might be the most effective way at man's governing, it still fails in that manner. There's competition. And the last one, uh, Eric, I'll have you come up. This is the only true solution. This is not a Christmas ornament. This is a scepter today. <laughs> there you go. You can hold it any way you want to. It's actually a Christmas ornament. It's okay. The only solution is the kingdom of God, heaven's government, where the influence of God over his people and his earth impact us, actually changes our lives with his will, his intent, and his purpose that actually creates a culture and a lifestyle inside of us, morals that reflect God's desire and nature for his children. Think about the kingdom, heaven's government. It's the perfect executive, the perfect legislator, and the perfect judge, all working together in perfect harmony as one divine government. The goal is to be gracious and loving and merciful, to care for the welfare of the citizens of the kingdom, to give us the freedom necessary to thrive and the empowerment necessary to advance and be productive. This is the only solution that works. Why don't you give them a round of applause? Thanks, guys. You can set your things down. And when we talk about heaven's government, we're not saying let, let's just let anarchy rule and reign on the earth. There is a place for authority, right? When we look at parents, when we look at police officers, principals in schools, there's obviously a place for authority figures. But you know what this does? It changes the game. When we use God as our only king and rulership, when we operate under heaven's government, it changes how authority figures operate. 
Because now it's not an authority figure trying to control people's decisions or try to force them to do something. It's one, I'm keeping you safe. I'm empowering you. I'm giving you wise decisions to make. And when you make wise decisions, you'll see reward. When you make poor decisions, you'll see consequence. But this is a safe environment to grow up in. So what the role of authority is, is to help empower someone that is under them to be all that God has created them to be. That would completely change the direction of this entire earth if we would catch heaven's government and how that should relate to earthly authority and the people under us. You guys still okay? I don't want to like confuse you as we move. Psalm 24, one says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For he founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. So there's like nothing we can do to usurp God's authority, right? We just need to decide whether we're going to submit to it or rebel against it. You really can't ride the fence. He's either your authority. King Jesus is either on the throne of your heart or he's not. He doesn't sit like I did in middle school with like half your behind off the seat. He's on the throne of your heart, or he's not. So we can accept and submit to his authority, or we can rebel against it. In Isaiah 45, it says, this is what the Lord says, he who created the heavens, he is God. He who fashioned and made the earth, he founded it, but follow this, he did not create it to be empty, but he formed it to be inhabited. So though he owns it all and though he is in charge and though he is king and Lord and savior and all of that wrapped up into it, when he sent the Holy Spirit to hover over the earth as the waters were flinging out of place and it was chaos and he said, let there be light, he had you in mind. Isn't that amazing? When he's separating the waters, so now there's a sky and now there's a sea and these trees begin to come up and all these beautiful things and the animals are placed on. He had you in mind. He wasn't creating us to be robots. He wanted intimacy and he wants relationship, even today. So fortunately, after the fall of man, we have the entrance of Jesus Christ who came to reestablish and we'll finish up here. I have a few more verses I want to share with you. In Galatians 4.4, it says, when the time had fully come, God had sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law, that we might receive full rights of sons. So check this out. Let's say you wake up one day, you wake up and you're in a castle and you realize, wow, I'm the son or the daughter of a king. Would you ever wonder again if you were going to be provided for or have the resources or have anything else? Say no. Absolutely not. My daddy's the king. Oh my goodness. I got cars. I got bikes. I got all this fun. I have all the... You have responsibility too. But it says here, why did Jesus come to fulfill the law that we would receive the full rights of sons? Like we're not God's grandchildren. We are sons and daughters of the most high God. It says, because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out Abba, Father. Right, what are we talking about today? Spirit break out, spirit break out. Well, I don't feel like the spirit can break out. I don't believe that the spirit can break out. 
Well, there's a spirit. If you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, the spirit of God is inside of you calling out, Father, Father, he's your Father, he's your Father. Hey, by the way, the Father happens to be the King. There's a constant reminding of the Holy Spirit of who you are in Christ the moment you say yes to Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Thank God this happened this way. Because when Jesus came and we said it again, he came to reestablish the kingdom of God. In Matthew 4, 17, from that time on, Jesus began to preach this message. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is near or is at hand or has come. A few verses later, you see miracle after miracle after miracle. So now you see evidence that the kingdom of God has come. I'm telling you, we're pressing into this as a church body. We desire to live a supernatural lifestyle because we serve a supernatural God. I don't want to live a natural life and say, I believe that a God that I've never seen has forgiven all of my sins and I'm going to this place of perfection when my body fails to be with him forever and ever and not have any evidence of him on this earth. Do you see the tension there? There's so many Christians, we say, we believe in this God. We believe in the creator of the earth. We believe he's forgiven all of our sins. I believe I'm a daughter or a a son, you know, of the most high God, but yet there's no evidence. I want to see in my own life and in our life, a changed life transformed from the inside out. And I want to see power flowing when we pray with people. I want to see things happen that are supernatural because he is supernatural. So that comes with authority. And guess what? We don't have any authority without the Father giving it to us. Jesus ministered his entire life. He died on the cross. He was buried. I love what the song says. God robbed the grave three days later. And before Jesus left the earth, he reaffirmed something. He said, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. He says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. What he's saying is this. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Guess where he's about to go? To, help me out here. He's about to go up to heaven. So if all authority on heaven and earth has been given to him, but he's about to go up to heaven and he has sent us forth with an assignment, who has he handed the baton of authority to? Us. The same baton that God handed to Adam and Eve at the beginning of time was now re-handed to his followers to make disciples of all nations. Now, how do you make disciples? Disciple is a follower, it's a learner. So he's saying, teach them everything I've taught you. What did he teach them about? The kingdom of God. Follow through the gospels. The kingdom of heaven is like this. The kingdom of God is like this. He taught them how to live and thrive in this kingdom. And then he says, listen, it's not just about governing the earth now because the devil wants his way. So now a part of the assignment of Jesus was to destroy the works of the devil. So when he hands you that authority, it is never to be used to control or manipulate another human being, ever. It is always to be in love and compassion, but it is to be used with aggression and boldness against the works of the devil who hates our soul. So if you think about a, a governor, if you think about a governor, if riots break out in a governor's state, Does he sit back, sleep in, sip on his Coke? Absolutely not. What he does is he calls a state of emergency and he sends out every person he can to stop the riots. That's what we're doing. We're governing 
the earth again through King Jesus and his kingdom. And there's a riot going on and the devil's having a blast with it. But we've been given the authority to annihilate the works of the enemy. But we must stay in alignment with our authority or we won't have the faith to do what he's calling us to do. I believe it's why Jesus taught us the very simple prayer that we all know as the Lord's Prayer. And he says this statement, we've talked about it several times. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your what? Your kingdom come. Now his kingdom is what? The heart for his people, his will, his purposes, and his intent. So look what you're saying here. You're pray- you've been praying this since you were a child if you were raised in church. Your kingdom, your heart, your will, your purposes for your people. So your kingdom come. I hope they tell us where we want it to come. Let's find out. Your kingdom come, your what? Will be done where? As it is where? So God and King Jesus are in heaven and they've given us authority through the power of the Holy Spirit. And now he's teaching us, this is actually how we're supposed to pray. Would your kingdom come? Would your will, your heart, your purposes, your healing, your deliverance, your peace, your joy, will all that stuff, will all of that stuff come here as it is up there? Now, how many of you know it's not like the Holy Spirit is just hovering over the earth anymore? He's living within you. So he doesn't want joy and peace just floating around, right? He doesn't want healing just leaking out the doors. He wants it experienced in the lives of people who are hurting. So we say it's supernatural, but it's so practical if you think about it. You know a person who either knows Jesus or doesn't, you now know of a problem that they have. And you turn to the most well-known prayer that any two or three-year-old could probably even repeat if they were raised in church. And now you pray this with a new perspective. Father, would your kingdom come? Your kingdom, oh my goodness, you are king. Would your kingdom come? Oh, okay, so now I'm inviting everything that you are, everything that you're able to do. I'm inviting that right now. Father, I pray for your kingdom to come and your will to be done right here. You erase everything else and you do for this one person what you wish you could do for everybody else. And you remove, I've prayed for 300 people and nobody's ever been healed. Pray that like every single one has been healed. I've shared my faith thousands of times. No one's ever got saved. Then you go into that saying, I know it's the will of the Lord for this person to be saved. Because God says in his word that it is his will that none should perish, right? So erase everything else. And the one person becomes the object of your ministry. And your ministry is God's heart flowing through you to them through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. That's heaven's government. And it's the only one that works. Let's stand at this time. Let's just bow our heads for a moment. I do just before we leave tonight or today, we're gonna just close in prayer here in a moment. But I wanna give anybody in this room that might not, that might happen to not have Jesus as their king in their heart yet to just have that opportunity. It's just a very simple question. If you know that you have never made Jesus king, like if I would ask you, if we were all by ourselves. And I would ask you, is Jesus sitting on the throne of your heart? And you would not be able to answer yes, but you want to be able to answer yes. 
I'm simply going to ask you in about 30 seconds to acknowledge it by lifting your hand. And then after service, I'm going to invite you forward. Actually, lift up your eyes. Lift up your head for a minute. I want you to understand, and sometimes we don't, we don't tell you that this is happening when people get saved, when we're talking to them outside of a Sunday morning. Doing this when the emotions are running high doesn't get you born again. Jesus did not say, raise your hand at an altar call and you're in. Go live your life how you want to. Jesus said, follow me. Because as they followed him, they learned how to live in the kingdom. So I look for this as an initial, yeah, I'm pretty sure I know what you're talking about and I think I want to take that step. But then we actually are here to help you take those steps and to disciple you in the faith. All right? So let's close our eyes. Just begin to pray if you know Jesus. So I just ask you a very simple question. If there's anybody in this room, if I would ask you by yourself, do you know Jesus as Lord and Savior? Is Jesus, is King Jesus on the throne of your heart? If you could not say yes clearly, but you want to do that today, you want help doing that coming into the kingdom, I just want you to raise your hand with confidence. I want you to make eye contact with me with boldness in your heart today that you want King Jesus. Yes, I see you. Thank you so much, ma'am. And we will absolutely talk to you right after service. You can put your hand down. Anyone else? Hallelujah. You want King Jesus to sit on the throne of your heart. Yeah, Pastor Ty, if you can grab Vicki just to go ahead and minister to her. Let's pray today, Father. Father, we thank you so much that you are the king. We don't have to ever try to figure this out on our own. I thank you that you're breathing fresh perspective into your word. Verses that we've read for years are coming to life for the first time. We thank you for that, God. I pray today that we would surrender anything else in our lives that's keeping you just a little bit uncomfortable on the throne of our heart. I pray, Father, we'd once again bow to the King and say, you're in charge. Flow through us as we live within your kingdom. We pray for your blessing and your favor to be upon us today until we meet again, Lord willing. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Have a wonderful week, guys. Bless you. Thank you for joining us. Be sure to check us out on the web at centralconnect.org.